thank you so much for being with us and joining us online tonight. I'm so happy to see you. And we're going to look at the next part of the passage that we looked at last week from the Transfiguration. And we're going to talk about learning from our failures. Um, Raphael did a great painting. Now, those of you that are watching on Church Online or on one of our other sites, you can see this already. But I thought for those of you watching on my Facebook page, I just kind of hold it up for just a second. This is Raphael's painting of the Transfiguration. And at the top, you see just incredible beauty. And then down below, you see incredible pain and, and arguing that's going on there that um, the disciples had to come down to. Reminds me of an Amy Grant song. If you remember the Amy Grant song, I love to be on the mountaintop, but I've got to come back down to the valley below. Well, that's literally what happened here as the disciples were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, and they saw him. We talked about this last week with Moses and Elijah. We talked about the glory of that, what that meant. But then they come down the mountain, and those of you that are watching here, you see the little boy right here. This is the little boy, Raphael's painting him, that's been set free from the demonic spirit. And if I can hold this back up again, and um, I think it does it backwards on. You know, there it is. Right there is the little boy, right there at the end of my finger. And he paints him with his mouth open because you remember uh, the demon shrieked and screamed. So that's an important painting that I think helps us to get an image of what I want us to talk about tonight, of learning from our failures. We all fail. If you don't fail, you're not trying anything. And if you don't fail often, you're not trying often enough. But the key that we all know is learning from our failures. And I think this passage tonight is a great indication of that. So I want us to go right into our passage from Mark chapter 9. When they returned, when they returned from the mountaintop where they saw Jesus transfigured, they saw a large crowd surrounding them and some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. Now, Jesus had delegated his ministry to the disciples and they were to continue to do what he was doing. And when the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe and they ran to greet him. And so Jesus asked a question that you and I would ask, what's all this arguing about? And one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. And then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Well, Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now, as we looked at last week, he's not really scolding the disciples here. And we didn't have time. We ran, matter of fact, we went a little over last week. But what he's saying is, what Jesus is recognizing is that his time on earth is running out. He's headed to Calvary. Remember we said we're now in that second half and things are going to pick up rapidly as Jesus is headed to Calvary. And so he wants the disciples to learn. They need to know. Sometimes he will say of them, they're kind of slow of learning. And I could say that I've been slow of learning at times. Could you say that as well? And he's, so his time is running out and he wants them, he wants them to understand they've really got to pay attention and they've got to learn. 
uh, Pope Benedict said one time, and I think it's so important, he says, Christians have got to recognize that we're a minority on the earth today, and we have to begin to think like that minority. I, I know growing up in the Bible Belt of the South, it was just, you know, Christianity was everywhere, but things have changed so much, even in the brief time that I, a quarter of a century that I've lived up here, how quickly things have changed on us. We have to recognize the times that we're living in, and time is running out. Time is running out for me if Jesus comes or not because of how long I'll get to live. Time is running out for you. And so when Jesus says that, we, we need to catch the emphasis of what he's going on here. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion. He fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening, Jesus asked the boy's father. And he replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. And the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Now, you remember we looked at this last week, but let me just tell you, the struggle here is not with a demon, okay? Do, is there a real demon here? Yes, but that's not the problem. The problem is faith. That's the problem. And so you might say to me, so Pastor Clint, do you really believe there's... There are, there are beings that exist that are called demons, yes. Jesus believed in them, I believe in them. So I, it's not a, an outdated belief. There are some things that just we come up against and this particular story involves a demonic spirit. But the problem and what we should be focusing upon is not a fear of demons. What we should be focusing upon is not even dignifying the devil. What we should be focusing upon is God give us increasing faith, grow our faith, help us to grow in faith. Never set limits on God, amen? So that's what Jesus is saying. Don't set limits, and the Father instantly is repentant. We've already read about so many people who refused to believe as we've gone through the book of Mark. You remember those stories where they refused to believe and Jesus wouldn't do miracles there because of their lack of faith. So what we see here is not that it's a sin to struggle with doubt and to have small faith. The key is to repent and say, I believe, but help me where I don't believe at. And when Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. And then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. And the boy appeared to be dead, and a murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. Remember last week we talked about sometimes you give something to Jesus, and it looks worse than when you gave it to Jesus, Okay. Sometimes there's the death of a dream. Sometimes there's the death of a vision. Sometimes uh, the way Jesus works in our lives, it, it, it can look like it's gone from bad to worse. The crowd is murmuring. The little boy, it looks like, because when this devil shrieked and screamed and came out of him, the boy collapsed and he looked lifeless. And there's a murmur running through the crowd. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. And afterward... When Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? And Jesus replied, this kind can only be cast out 
by prayer. You know, trust is awesome. Faith is awesome. Victories are awesome. I love the mountaintop. And if you go back to the 1970s, the late 1970s, you can listen to that song about Amy, that Amy Grant sang about, I'd love to live on the mountaintop. But you always have to come, like Raphael points out in this painting here, you always have to come back down to the valley below. And so victories are great, faith is great, but failure can teach me lessons about humility and success Failure can teach me things depending upon my reaction. If my reaction is positive and I dig in and say, God, I'm going to trust you more, which is what this father did, rather than getting angry or walking away, but saying, I recognize where I'm struggling at. Failure, like the disciples, they said, Lord, why couldn't we cast it out? If your reaction is positive, then failure can teach you a lot of lessons. But if your reaction is negative, then what you do is you blame people and you begin to argue. So humility helps me to learn from my problems. Humility helps me to learn from our problems. The question that the disciples ask is actually the key to answering this question. Because the question is, why couldn't we drive it out? If you remember about a month ago, we talked about how that there were all kinds of, of studies that were done in this time where people were studying the magical properties of spit, people were studying the magical properties of cantations. If you could get the right words together, if you could weave together the right spell, if you could weave together the right thing, you didn't have to be to particularly devoted to God, you just have to have the right things to say. Do you remember watching The Chosen in the very first episode where Nicodemus is called to cast the demon out of Mary Magdalene? They come in and he's asking for certain branches and herb, herbs and he's asking for the smoking pot and none of that works. But at the end of the movie, at the end of that, that, that episode, Jesus just simply embraces Mary and she's delivered. Remember that? You see, Success, these disciples had experienced success and now they thought they knew how to do it. Somebody said to me today in a conversation that I was having, they said, you know, I am confident in you because I know you have experience, I know you have skill, I know you've been through this before. And I said, never put your confidence in my skill sets. Never put your confidence in my experience because my confidence and your confidence comes from Christ alone. Because the day we begin to lean upon our own self, why couldn't I do it? It's not the right combination of words. It's not the right technique. What we all have to have is a total devotion to Jesus Christ, or as we say at Woodland, we want to be passionate followers of Christ, okay? Passionate followers of Christ. The second thing is a proud heart will always argue rather than learn from failure. A proud heart will always argue rather than learn from failure. You see, when you rely on techniques, you're kind of like Aladdin and the magic lamp. Because if you can find the magic lamp and rub it three times, what's happened? Robin Williams is going to come out of there, and you're going to just have the greatest party of your life. But the, the key is not a technique. The key is just simply having a humble heart. I have met so many people through the years in ministry that either they've denied they failed or they blame somebody else. They look for a scapegoat to blame somebody else. Everybody else can fail but me. 
Everybody else can fail. I just can't fail. And I've had people tell me that from time to time. Say, you just don't understand. I can't fail. A very famous television, television evangelist from the 1980s, one of my friends, close friends, worked for him. And after his spectacular morals failure, he made the statement to my friend, he says, when you are, and he called his name, he says, you just can't afford to admit you've made mistakes. You can't afford to admit that you've sinned. Friends, that's the beginning of failure right there. You and I have to always walk humbly before God and with one another. When you were a kid, do you ever, did you ever throw up a baseball and take a bat and try to hit it? Did you ever do that in the backyard or on the ball field or something? I read a little story one time about a little boy that uh, he'd been hitting the balls just perfect all day, tossing it up. And so when his dad got home from work, he said, Dad, come out and watch me hit the ball. So he tossed up the ball. He swung the bat, strike one. He tossed up the ball again. He swung the bat, strike two. He tossed up the ball the third time, rear back, swung the bat and missed and said, strike three. He said, Dad, I'm some kind of pitcher, aren't I? When all along he <laughs> called him out to say, look at what a great batter I am. Because we just don't like to admit that they failed. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 14, when they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. And here's the religious police again. And some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. Do you remember Jesus' statement to the disciples earlier? He goes, what were you arguing about on the road back there? And I mean, they're in the presence of God. They're in the presence of the greatest that ever lived. Steve Harvey said one time, he said, I would love the chance to, 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 to introduce Jesus Christ to get to speak. And he went through this dramatic thing of how he would introduce Jesus. I mean, they're truly in the presence of greatness. So you know what they're arguing about? Which one of them is going to be the greatest? Can you imagine in church bragging about how great you are after we've just sung how great thou art? Now, let me ask you a question. Haven't you, like me, ever had some pretty embarrassing arguments from time to time? You look back in your marriage, you go, you know what, that's so embarrassing that we ever argued about that. Or you look back with your your children, you go, I am so embarrassed I ever argued about that. We were in an Ingalls grocery store in the mountains one time, and we were there and had rented a cabin. My parents had come up to stay with us. And I'm over two or three aisles over picking up some stuff that Becky had sent me to the store to get. And I hear my dad and one of my sons arguing several aisles away. I mean, several aisles away. And I come around the corner and they're arguing because my son is insistent because I have taught him that this is the best kind of hot sauce in the world. And it costs 10 cents more than the store brand hot sauce that my dad wanted to buy and save a dime. And there they were arguing. And I finally said, Dad, I'm buying. We're getting this hot sauce. We, Dad's mumbling all the way out. You could have saved 10 cents. You could have saved 10 cents. <laughs> we, we got in the truck and I said, Dad, it's a dime. And you're arguing on vacation with your grandson. Doesn't matter. You know, I am sure we've all had some argue in the heat of the moment where we go, it doesn't matter. And it really does matter. Thirdly, one of the things that I see from this, and it's a good reminder for me, and I hope it's a good reminder for you. People come to get help from Jesus. They don't come to get help from me. Oftentimes, people come for counsel. People come to talk. or People are coming to get help from Jesus. 
when they come to us, they're not coming to us because we're special. They're not coming to me because I'm special or skilled. They're not coming to you because you're special. They're coming to you because they know you know Jesus. Does that make sense? That's why the little boy bought his son to the disciples. Look at verse 17. I brought my son so you could heal him. Jesus wasn't there, so he was looking for the disciples to do what Jesus had been teaching them to do. When people come to Woodland, we want them to encounter Jesus. That's the reason I ask you all the time, when you leave, talk about Jesus, 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 because Jesus is the one that holds the answer. Can you imagine the letdown of the dad when the disciples of Jesus could not cast the demon out of this boy, especially after everything that they heard? I want you to hear me tonight. I want you to be passionate followers of Christ. Look at me right here. Those of you watching, you look at me right here too. I want you to be passionate followers of Christ. I want you to be giants of faith. But understand, every single day, people come to us not because of who we are, but because of who we belong to. They're coming because Jesus is the only one that can deliver them. And our faith in God is important. I know every week, every Sunday morning, every Wednesday night, whenever I write a blog post, I know that as much as I want people to be giants of faith, as much as I want to be a giant of faith, that every week I'm talking to people who are hurting, people who are suffering, people, people who really don't have time to have these embarrassing arguments that the disciples and the religious police were having. Maybe about technique, maybe about whether Jesus was the, who he says he was. They were just arguing about, there are important arguments, but those arguments, the word there is meant to persuade or to present evidence for like who Jesus is. That's called apologetics. But let's you and I not get caught up in the embarrassing arguments about minutia and let's get people to Jesus. And the reason that we fail oftentimes is due to deficient prayer, deficient faith and insufficient prayer. Deficient faith and insufficient prayer. Whenever somebody tells me they're too busy to pray, whenever somebody tells me there are too many needs, whenever somebody tells me I have too many appointments, I have too many phone calls, I have too many emails, too many text messages, I don't have time to pray. When they tell me that, I understand right there that their faith is becoming deficient and their prayer life is becoming insufficient. The danger of success, and I've tasted and had this happen and I want you to learn from my failures. The danger of success is you begin to trust yourself more than you trust God. And that's the reason that Joshua, that God is always talking to Joshua about good success. And so Jesus looks at his disciples when they ask him and he says, this kind can only be cast out by prayer. The power to deliver, the power to save, the power to heal, the power to cast out devils, all of that comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not through the laying on of my hands, although you and I should lay hands on people and pray for them because that's being obedient to the word of God, but not because of somehow or another we have this specialness about us. We bring someone who is special. And so when you and I come, look at me, 
because this is an important point. When you and I come prayerfully to pray with those that are sick, those that are tormented, those that are lost, then not only do we benefit by praying, but the people we pray for benefit as well. Does that make sense? Both of us benefit. It is a privilege to get to pray with people. It is a privilege to get to talk with people. It is a privilege to get to help someone because when we do that, we're being like our Savior. I think one of the reasons that Jesus says this is because God speaks to us when we wait in prayer. God speaks to us when we wait in prayer. Now, I'm not going to go back to the picture of, of Raphael and the transfiguration, but those of you that are watching on my page, you get to see it again. What are the disciples doing right here? Peter, James, and John. They're doing what they're going to do at the Garden of Gethsemane. They're sleeping. Remember, they fell asleep. Peter woke up, and it scared him because there was this incredible moment. You see, there's nothing wrong with sleeping. To his beloved, God gives sleep. Matter of fact, I can't wait to go to bed. I can hear my pillow calling me right now. But here's the point. There's a time to sleep. And there's a time to pray. There's a time to, 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 to feast. And there's a time to fast. And there's always this time and season that you and I need to pull aside. And after we pray, just wait upon the Lord. Just wait upon God. So let's just say if I'm praying for Danny, after I'm done praying for Danny and just whatever Danny may have asked me to pray for, I just wait on the Lord for a while. I don't rush right on to pray for Bob. Because if God wants to speak to me about Danny or bring a verse or something, I need to wait upon him. That says I'm expecting God to answer my prayer. Does that make sense? And then when I pray for Bob and, and the Lord tells me, tell Bob to take Carrie out for a nice dinner and buy her a dozen roses, I can call her and that'll bear witness to him, okay? May not bear witness to his wallet, but it'll bear witness to him. So, but you wait upon the Lord. It's a sign of faith to wait upon God. Look at Psalms 27 and verse 4. The one thing, this is David in the book of Psalms, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, doing what? Delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. What is he saying? I'm going to wait upon God in prayer. Here's an interesting two verses of scripture. Remember when the gospel first went to the Gentiles? Peter goes to visit his friend. We've talked about this already in the series. Peter goes to visit his friend Simon the Tanner. You would never live with someone that, a, a good Jew would never live with someone that was working with animal hides for a living because he was constantly unclean. So one day Peter goes up on the top of the house and he prays, Acts chapter 10 verse 9. Peter went up to the flat, the flat roof to pray. There he has this vision. He can't understand the vision where God tells him to rise up and kill and eat. And he says, I've never eaten anything unclean. God is also speaking to another man. His name is Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 and verse 30. And so Peter goes to Cornelius' house because Cornelius had been praying and waiting upon God. He said, four days ago, I was praying in my house. Marvelous things when you and I happen, when you and I pray at church together and when we pray at our homes and on our jobs together, God pulls us to one mind and one cord. D.L. Moody said there were three kinds of faith, and I think you see that in the story tonight. D.L. Moody said there's the struggling faith, and he used the image of a man that was swimming in deep water desperately trying to get to shore. He called that struggling faith. 
Then he said there's clinging faith. And clinging faith was where the man was desperately hanging on to the side of the boat because he was just wore out and afraid he was going to drown. But then D.L. Moody said there's a third kind of faith, and that's resting faith. And that's where someone is in the boat with Christ, and they're helping others to get into the boat. You know, you may have desperate faith tonight. You may have clinging faith tonight. But the goal is to get to the place where you can rest in Christ. God's got this. Can you say amen? amen. Say it with me. God's got this. God's in control. We don't panic. We don't blame. We don't argue. We don't, we don't try. We just simply wait upon God. And we want to help others find Jesus. And so, as I get ready to wrap this up tonight, a couple more points. Faith just simply requires that I humbly trust the Lord. The humility of this dad, I do believe, but help me overcome my belief. We talked about that last week, so I'm going to move on to point number eight here. Faith is a gift sustained by the power of Christ. Faith is a gift sustained by the power of Christ. All right, I'm going to give you my honest opinion, okay? And you can disagree with me on this, but I think I'm still right. Matter of fact, I know I'm right. Those disciples could have cast that demon out had they not relied upon technique, but had they agreed together in prayer before the Lord. This is, Father, Jesus left us here to take care of the work that he's begun until he returns. Friends, Jesus has left us here to take care of the work that he has begun until he returns. And it's not by might, and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. And there are two things I want you to catch from that statement tonight. My faith is sustained by the promise of his return. In James chapter 5 and verse 7, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Are you struggling tonight in your faith? Are you concerned or worried? Take courage. I mean, what was it that the lion wanted, the cowardly lion wanted in the Wizard of Oz? He wanted a heart. He wanted courage. God is saying to you, take courage. I'm coming back not worried about the culture, not worried about the times. Jesus is in control, and he's coming back. The second thing is I'm sustained by the word of God. Sustained by the word of God. This verse in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, and I did a whole sermon on this, if you remember when we went through the epistles of Peter. He says, your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. Who lives in your heart? The eternal living word of God. What do you have to study in your hands, whether it's on your phone or in a leather-bound book? You have your Bible, which is the word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword. It nourishes us and it sustains us. So when we combine our faith and our prayer, friends, that's powerful. That's why that the Bible talks about the word of the Lord being the sword of the Spirit. That's why prayer is this overcoming weapon in our hands. And so Jesus looks at them and he says, this demonic spirit can only be cast out by prayer. So when Jesus faced that demon, he prayed. 
When you and I, you said, Pastor, have you ever had to face something like that? Yes, on more than one occasion. But it's never about my skill or what I know to do. It's about waiting on God and seeing God set people free. And when we pray and when we read his words, then all of a sudden we find our doubts are wiped away. We find that our conviction about who Jesus is grows ever more stronger. Every struggle that you and I have been through, every struggle that we've ever come through, we've come out of it. I hope you have. I, I know I have. I've come out of it not with my faith weaker, but with my faith stronger. And when doubts begin to evaporate and we know that God is in control, friends, there is nothing impossible to you and me. I love this painting. I love this painting because it reminds me. I want these experiences. I want this mountaintop. But I want to live right here. I need this. I want people to go to the mountain with me to pray. But I need this because this is what Jesus came for. Little boys like this, little girls like this, men and women like you and me, and God calls us to do his work. Can you say amen? amen. Well, let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for your Holy Spirit and your presence. We thank you, Lord, that this whole story of the transfiguration was not just about, Lord, this glorious event that happened with you and in Moses and Elijah, but it's coming back down into the valley and seeing that, Lord, all things are possible if we only believe. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us tonight. Please let me know if you enjoyed the message. If you're watching, send us a message here. We'll see you next week. God bless.